0: Welcome to Adventist Voices Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter. This week I talk with Dr. Alex Bryan, who is the Chief Mission Officer at Adventist Health, where he oversees clinical chaplaincy, mission culture, and spiritual care. Additionally, you may know him as one of the founders of the One Project and as the longtime senior pastor. Of the Walla Walla University Church I was reading online when I ran across something he wrote and it's the impetus for the conversation you're about to hear I'll read it to you half century old pastor who loves history gives up Netflix ESPN and sleep to read a biography of every American president that's right He read 19,000 pages and 43 biographies. Um, Cleveland was president twice, and he's still waiting for the current occupant to leave to read a biography about him. And so our conversation focuses on his reflections on leadership, what the presidency has provided for the citizens of the United States of America, and I have a question for you, and that is, is the phrase choosing between the lesser of two evils good? Is it useful? Is it something that we should continue to say, or are we missing something about what the presidency is? I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. Thank you very much for listening.
1: Yes, I knew Sister White.
0: We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move. with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. I think the first uh, reaction when I read your post on Facebook, I was impressed with both the subject matter and the scope of your project. And I'm curious, like, can you tell me about the moment where you went from thinking, Hmm, this is an interesting idea to I'm going to do this.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I had a couple motivations. Um, one is that at the end of last year, I actually took a couple of months off the news cycle. I just needed a break quite, yeah. quite honestly. And, um, and it felt good. Like I just felt healthy. I I needed to fast from all that. So I think one, 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 so that, that would be one, that would be one response is that I wanted to continue to do something that maybe it's escapism. I mean, call it what you want, but to, to kind of wander into a world that wasn't this one, at least a bit. Um, and history can do that for you. Yeah. And then, and then secondly, and then secondly, I guess, you know, like you, I read a lot, but I kind of thought, you know, I've never read in a disciplined way. I kind of just read a lot. So I thought, what if I took on like a project that felt like it had a beginning and an end that might kind of be kind of interesting. So those are probably a couple of my motivations that got my wheels turning. And then, and then there's a blog by a investment banker of all things, by the name of Stephen Floyd, who took about six years to read extensively Uh, all the major presidential biographies. So he read like eight or nine, you know, on each president. And uh, I probably didn't have the stamina for that, but I decided I got to give this thing a go.
0: Yeah. Uh, Can you talk uh, about the, uh, the discipline of it? How did you um, kind of, um, kind of spread it out? Um, Did you have timelines where you wanted to hit, uh, you know, I know the books were, differing lengths, but, um, I have been, you know, there was a, a spate of, you know, projects like this, you know, uh, a year of living biblically, for example, that sort of set a beginning and, end. um, and I've, I'm curious how, you know, I mean, it's like working out in a way you decide, Hey, I'm just going to get up and do this thing. And, You know, months later, you're kind of realizing, I guess I have some sort of schedule. Um, so I'm curious how that developed for you.
1: Yeah. So I think one is, and I think your analogy to other sort of disciplines is right on. So one is I realized I was going to have to give up some things that consume my time. So I did give up Netflix (laughs) and, and related and, and, you know, and related sort of content. I, um, ESPN and sports was easier because COVID kind of shut down a lot of of that, which would ordinarily grab my attention. Yeah, And then I just, well, yeah. So, so one is I realized I was going to have to stop doing some things in order to do something else. And then I just, I'm an early riser anyway, but I, I've been waking up between four and five o'clock in the morning, um, brew a pot of coffee and I'll crank for, two, two and a half hours, three hours every morning. So I've been very disciplined about that throughout the year. So six days a week, pretty much with regularity, I've been reading two to three hours every morning. And then I would pick stuff up in the evening too before bed. That could be a little hit or miss. That could be a half an hour to, you know, four hours of reading. If I, it was, you know, you get locked into a book, you know how that is Yeah. and you can't put it down and you can't put it down. So, but the morning was the anchor for me, really. I just was like, I cannot miss this. And then I think the absence of other kinds of entertainment created some extra space in the evening. And then, and and then to answer your question, I kind of wanted a book a week. Now, Franklin Pierce was a hundred and thirty some pages, <laughs> so that was you know that was like a night or two at the most. And then you had uh, David McCullough's work, uh, Ron Chernow's Washington, some others were you know flirting with a thousand pages. And those at times would spill beyond a week, but I wanted to be done by the election. So I actually ended up being ahead of schedule.
0: Great. Well, I want to turn our attention, uh, to your thoughts, um, on leadership in light of the upcoming, um, United States election. But before we get to that, um, can you talk about the criteria that you use to evaluate, um, the material you were consuming?
1: Yeah. So, uh, and this doesn't make my criteria any better or more lofty, but I, there was, there were five things that I kept looking at. One is an American president is the first citizen of the country. This is the head of state. Mm-hmm. So I wanted, I, I looked closely at personal moral, moral character, ethical behavior, decency, integrity, etc. I, you know, what is the what sort of example is this person setting for how one ought to live? And because America kind of has promised an ethical way of living, you know, that's kind of inherent in the promise, Yeah. Uh, a kind of a different way of, you know, whether we reach that or not, that's a separate question, but, the, but so, so number one, you know, what, what's the basic moral fabric of the person? Secondly, um, I think America's foundational promise. Uh, all men are created equal life, liberty, happiness, of course, this is the great gap that we know about um, in history. But to what degree did this chief exec- chief executive expand participation in that promise, narrow the gap between what is possible, you know, and, and reality? You know, it took 70 years for us to allow a black male to vote, you know, 150 years for a woman to vote, 220 years for us to say, yeah, we should have wheelchair ramps to make sure that people have access to buildings. Like, so it really hasn't been, you know, we the people hasn't met everybody. So I, I basically was asking, did this person move it forward, expand it, or was there some regression or status quo? Uh, then I looked at executive management, you know, different crises or problems arise, whether it's COVID-19 or World War two. you know, h- how did the, how effectively was the problem dealt with? And then I looked, uh, another criteria was the lasting or lingering impact of the presidency. So you look at a president and say, well, how did they do for the four or the eight years or whatever they were in office? But then there's legacy, right? What are the consequences of that presidency that might be 10 years, 50 years, 100 years later? And then I also looked at, I try to judge not just the presidency, but the person. And of course, these biographies for the most part are birth until death. And so... You know, you have some presidents that have distinguished careers before they become president. Uh, Even George Washington, of course, who is the head of the Continental Army. And then you have other presidents that at the time you didn't think much of their presidency. Jimmy Carter, maybe. But then, you know, 40 years of just incredible contribution. John Quincy Adams, again, a one term president, not much consequence. But then 15 years of anti-slavery work in the U.S. Congress. Um, William Howard Taft would be an example who you know, an average president that goes on to be chief justice of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to look at their life beyond the presidency. That's a, a long-winded answer, but that's, those, are, those are some of the things I was thinking about.
0: Well, you're kind of moving into uh, what I think of as the the meat of of what I enjoyed about what you wrote, which were your observations, the, the kind of takeaways, which... For someone like me who hasn't read all those biographies, it was incredibly interesting and made me want to dig into um, a lot of this presidential history. So um, can you uh, summarize some of the observations that you made as you were exploring um, all this uh, history?
1: Oh, that's a (laughs) sweeping question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think... I think one thing that historical reading does, you start to see that there's different personality types. There's different political philosophies. There's there's a lot of good people out there. I'll put it that way. Like, I think it's a, we use the phrase, well, I got to vote for the lesser of two evils or, you know, couldn't we find any decent person to run for president? You know, I think those are cheap lines. And I think that they're most often not true. I'll put it that way. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Like, uh, yeah, of course, these of course, these characters are flawed, Alexander. <laughs> but, yeah, so am I. Like, yeah. So there's lots of but I, I think it's really not the case that we just have had a whole bunch of lousy options. Yeah. So that's one observation. and And I think in fact, I think back most of the elections in history, we've either had two reasonable options or we've had one reasonable option of the two or three that are running. So I think that was, I think that's one thing that struck me. Um, I think another thing that struck me is we, we look to the presidency, uh, you know, as having this tremendous influence in America. And I think that's true, but I think much more the the White House is a mirror. I think that, that who we put in office is a reflection about where we are morally, uh, our values as a nation, what we're thinking and feeling. Uh, I, I kind of saw that along the way too. So that, you know, that'd be another observation. A third observation, and then I'll let you ask another question in case i am headed the wrong direction. No, this is great. So, and, yeah, so like in my lifetime, for example, y- you would think of Reagan and Clinton, for example, two-term presidents, quite popular um, as being, you know, these are the consequential ones. And then you think about the, the men that they beat. So Reagan beat Carter, who was a one-termer, um, Clinton beat uh, George H.W. Bush, who was also a one-termer. Uh, I, I predict in 30 years, those two one-termers, Carter and H.W. Bush, um, I think they're the ones that are actually going to have the longer legacy of positive impact than, than Carter and Reagan.
0: Tell me so, why. Uh,
1: yeah, so, well, part of it is Carter, Carter's policies, uh, environmental policies, Uh, some of his uh, energy policies, you know, we talk about like, what's the R value in the insulation in your home, right? Well, that comes from Carter era stuff. The, the Egyptian, um, Israeli Egyptian peace accords at Mm -hmm. Camp David. I mean, arguably the greatest foreign policy achievement of my lifetime. I mean, just absolutely significant. Um, His decision to not go with the quick fix to, 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 settle a very bad economy. With tremendous inflation in the late seventies, he could have had a quick fix, but instead he made more measured decisions that were really created a tailwind for Reagan. So those are some of the things I think we're starting to historians are starting to see that. Again, George George H W Bush, I think his tax hike in uh, in in the early nineties probably really lit the economy on fire that Clinton enjoyed later. Um, I think that his leadership, the passage of the uh, Americans for Disability Act, is just absolutely uh, an incredible achievement. Um, if any war is, um, you know, justified, I think that uh, the first Gulf War, the fact that it was measured, it had a limited scope, there was a broad-based coalition. Mm-hmm. Like I think, and and Bush just had a real respect for the presidency, and I think just a general decency, um, you know. And Clinton and Reagan certainly, you know, super high emotional intelligence, great orators, actually great actors, really entertaining. But they both had major scandals. Yeah, Iran Contra, Lewinsky, not good. And I think Reagan probably gets a little bit too much credit for quote unquote ending the cold war i think there's a lot more involvement than that and i think clinton gets too much credit probably just for the american economy and that's not, hey look that's not to knock the two of them again i i found myself really appreciating all the presidents more than critiquing them but i just think that those are some of the things that just because you were popular in the moment a, a historical eye can, can render a very different assessment
0: You know, another president that um, I found your writing about um, intriguing was Grant. I visited his tomb and Mm. been interested in, you know, I think growing up, uh, reading history about him um, was mostly focused on this, you know, that there was corruption. But reading what you wrote about him made me... um, intrigued about, uh, his biography. Do you mind talking about why your estimation of him grew?
1: Sure. And I probably didn't, um, have as much background as even you just described about Grant. So I was raised in the American South. Um, I was taught that Lee was the good general who was skilled and Grant was just lucky to be, he had more, more, more munitions. Right. Um, and, uh, and I guess raised in the South even, I, I think I was probably even taught, you know, kind of a negative view of Grant. But I, I'll say this, and I think in my post, I alluded to this a little bit, but I, I actually fell in love with the guy. Like, the, it was the one biography where I think my eyes were wet as I was, you know, reading, you know, the concluding pages. Like, his, his determination during the Civil War is incredible. Uh, incredible losses along the way but he just stays resolute his growth on the issue of race and slavery is a real testament right so he didn't he wasn't like super woke as we might say or you know he may not be enlightened but you could see his moral growth he um, he just he just had that mixture for me of of all these human qualities, he smoked like a chimney, he, you know, uh, cursed like a sailor, you know, but he just had this resolute, he he had this resolute sort of personality to pursue what needed to be done. And I think the greatest compliment is Lincoln really found his man in Grant. Mm -hmm. So Lincoln went through a whole, you know, McClellan and Lincoln goes through this litany of generals who basically fail him. And Grant just has the temperament and the consistency. And then a fascinating thing, if your listeners, if our listeners want to Google it, the election of 1876, of course, is just fascinating because it basically, there's two sets of of electors that come in. There's the the places, basically the country's going to get ripped ripped apart. So just imagine the, I mean, if we think the 2000 election between Bush and Gore was a mess, 1876, you have two sets of electors come in. So just imagine that. Uh, you have discrepancies and grants the outgoing president. He, he helps to kind of navigate the situation just masterfully. Um, yeah. I don't know. He he just feels almost like the quintessential American to me, hmm. you know, yeah. and I guess I like him in part because he was flawed, you know, he was flawed, but he, he, uh, he saved the union. I mean, I, I, you know, along with Lincoln, this guy saved the union and, and then I think does some reasonably good things despite the corruption in the, in the reconstruction.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, uh, you kind of alluded to this earlier. Um, and I find this, you know, if you're in a public space, um, kind of hanging around, maybe mostly guys and talk turns the election, Um, the, the kind of default thing you already said, this is, you know, people say, well, I'm just, you know, we got to choose between the lesser of two evils. Uh, that's kind of the default American kind of middle-class comfortable language around, um, our political leadership. You know, we crack jokes about politicians, which people have always cracked jokes about the powerful. It's our way of kind of trying to deal with that power imbalance, but um I am curious uh, and and I think you know at least in the last uh 40 50 years our uh, respect for institutions our um our disappointment with leadership uh, both of those things well the respect has declined um, and our our trust in institutions has also declined so I'm curious why you're you are Um, what your understanding of what makes a good leader, um, is, and also, um, you know, how, uh, how we deal with disappointment in, um, Hmm. folks that we give our power to.
1: Man, I'm. Again, I'm not an expert. I'm just a guy that likes to read books. So
0: I I don't know if I'm help me. Give me some yeah, guidance. No,
1: yeah. So I think I don't know that I don't know that I would look to politics when you ask a leadership question. I mean, I don't know that I would look necessarily exclusive to politics, but but I will since since it's the context of our conversation. Sure. I think you know. I think months ago I had posted something. I was kind of midstream in my reading about presidents who were way better than I thought they were. Kind of. And, and I put a name on that list and it was Abraham Lincoln. It's like, Oh, I thought that's so cliche. You know, <laughs> we just go back to Lincoln, but man, I read, and, and I had a team of rivals is the book I had selected for that, um, uh, by Doris Kearns Goodwin, but yeah. his, his humility. And so you asked me about qualities and leadership, his fundamental humility is just powerful the number of times Alexander that he would confess that he'd made a mistake publicly. I mean, again and again, he, he would not throw his people under the bus, but he would take responsibility. He was, he was, he was, he, was, he would use quite measured language about certain things um, nuance, you know? So if he had something to push forward, it would be, he would, it's not that he would argue the, uh, the other side, you know, kind of play devil's advocate, you know, should I, sh- should I shouldn't do this, but so, just an incredible sense of humility. And I think that there, I think there's some of that in other presidents, um, along the way. And I think it served them well. Um, I think that even though we might say that there was a lot of hubris in FDR, for example, I mean, a very aggressive president, yeah. the fact that he, the fact that he was in a wheelchair, Historians, you know that I've read, look and say that really changed him. Like that basic humility that he had been wounded in that way um, was consequential. I think. Um, I think George Washington again, super confident. I mean, I don't want to say that these people were wallflowers, but he had a basic measure to him, um, and I think that's why maybe I was a, I, I would be attracted to a to a Barack Obama to a a George H.W. Bush, uh, maybe to a Jimmy Carter. Um, I think even, again, I keep apologizing because all these guys are, you know, they're very confident folks. I mean, I don't want to say, but even Dwight Eisenhower, there was a certain measure, um, you know, he decided not to use nuclear weapons again. And if you go back to the 50s, this is an open question in, in Korea and the Cold War, you know, places around the world. And his basic measure and pause. And I would call it almost the leadership humility. Um, I think that's a big deal. And I think, yes, I think I I don't want to just dwell on that, but I think when leaders can put themselves in check, um, I think one of the great features of American, the American political system is the fact that 36, 37 uh, presidents became former
0: presidents. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, I don't mean the ones that died. I think there was eight that actually died in office. I'm talking about these living former presidents and they went without kicking and screaming. They went because there's a certain humility to going back to. So I think, I, I know I think humility a big piece. I also think that, um, uh, I think that an appropriate sense of humor is another one that I detected. Um, it served Reagan well at times. Um, some of the best one-liners. Um, I think that Reagan's relationship with Tip O'Neill, who was the Democratic um, Speaker of the House of Representatives at the time, that they had a playful, you know, relationship w- where there was humor. Uh, Lincoln had a tremendous amount of humor. Um, so I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, we could, we could talk at length about other, other major qualities, but I'll just stick to those kind of core, I think that basic humility, a recognition that there's limits. Um, I think an appropriate sense of humor that's self-deprecating. I think that those things tend to, and may, right, so, so you tell me, do those things produce a mature leader or are they fruit of a mature leader? I'm not sure, but I think that those basic human qualities seem to to vibrate in the lives of the presidents when they were at their best.
0: Hmm. I like that idea of vibration because I think that uh, helps to elevate and um, elevate someone's relationships. And I think when you're thinking about leadership, so much of it has to do with how they're connecting with people that, Mm. um, that they have power with or over. Um, so let me add one more H. You talked about uh humor and humility. So, as you're looking around thinking about leadership from the national level down to the local, from church to the leadership that we have in our everyday lives, um, with those around us, um, can you talk about what gives you kind of hope for the future of humanity?
1: Oh boy. <laughs> Um I think I have hope because most of the people that I know, people I work with, my neighbors, um, younger generations that I have the, you know the honor of interacting with, there's a lot of good people with a lot of good impulses. So if I don't just focus on the shocking headline, breaking news, you know, everything's breaking news. Yeah. Um, and I actually go, well, what about the people? What about the 300 people that I know? Um, there's a lot of good impulses there. Um, I'm a part of a book, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, a book group, book, book club. that's all online, uh, that we started right after the murder of George Floyd. Hmm. And there's about, I don't know, maybe 14 of us in that group. We meet once a, once a week, um, all, uh, Caucasian, uh, white people by design, um, in order to do business with any of the darkness in our own souls. Right. Yeah. To, to say, we've got to, we got to come to grips with this and we need to have some honest conversations about this. Um, just being with those people every week, Alexander and, um, their desire to do good, to form a more perfect union, uh, to humble themselves, to recognize that we can love better. I think that that gives, I think that that gives me hope. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of hope for the church as an institution, and maybe that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs>
0: we'll we'll um, have you back. I
1: think that, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the church as an institution in America is, I think our public witness is basically finished. I really believe that. Like, I think it's just done um, for a variety of reasons. But if you peel back some of that, I think when you actually look at some, at people of faith, I think there's a lot of good impulses, people that are really doing their best to reflect the kinds of things Jesus talked about. Um, and I think that gives me hope. Um, so, yeah, I guess it would be the people, I guess it's the people uh, uh, around. Um, I think I think the threat, I don't want to end on a negative note here, but I think the I think the threat of all of that is I hope that we would spend more time reading 43 presidential biographies, you know, and reflecting on history instead of being fed the constant Twitter stream that just amps us up on things that are not true, you know? I think I think there's some risk to that what I just described. I think it's going to take some intentionality. Um I appreciate what Spectrum does. You know, community through conversation. Yeah. You know, it it implies a slow cooker approach. We gotta sit back, we gotta be patient, we gotta listen to each other. You know, I think that's the exactly the right impulse. So but I think if we commit ourselves to doing that, I think that we we hunger for again that more perfect union. I think we, we hunger for that communal abundant life that Jesus envisioned.
0: Well, thank you so much for um, first embarking on this project and, and being so vulnerable and taking on uh, so much uh, material and, and then synthesizing it, um, writing about it and speaking about it. It's definitely given me um, renewed uh, hope in the presidential System, and I'm looking forward to uh, voting soon, and um, thinking <laughs> and thinking about leadership uh, at all levels. So, um, a lot of gratitude.
1: Well, uh, thank you. Uh, it was a it was a lot of fun to do. I won't lie to you. I'm enjoying reading something else right now. take <laughs> a break. So, I'm, I'm reading uh, uh, Marilyn Robinson's new book. I'm just reading something completely different. Oh, nice. Um, yeah um, and uh, thanks for thanks for having me it's, it's always fun to talk to you in particular
0: oh uh, always a pleasure thank you so much
1: yes I knew sister white we will not fear the
0: kingdom is alive the kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely I'll never forget